0: Welcome back to the MMA by the numbers podcast where we're taking a numbers driven look into the world of mixed martial arts. I'm your host Jason Shandell and this episode is UFC Vegas 54 by the numbers. I'm going to break down the matchups. I'm going to pick winners. I'm going to talk about my favorite bets on the card and I'm going to dig into all the stats I can find for this week. It's not a huge fight card this week, and we have a few debuting fighters where we don't have any real stats to get into, uh, but still a nice handful of fights that we can dive into the stats for. So to start things off, I'm going to skip a couple fights and uh, kick it off in the strawweight division with a matchup between Vienna Jandihoba and Angela Hill. I'm obviously not telling you anything new in this matchup if I tell you that it's largely going to come down to whether Hill can keep it standing and strike with Jandihoba, or if Jandihoba can get in on the wrestling. Um, obviously... That's the key to this matchup, and I I don't know that really getting into the striking specific stats are going to tell us a lot, but just to add some context there, we've got Angela Hill with a 45% distance accuracy rate and a 65% defense rate, so lands 10% more accurately than her opponents. Despite her solid pace at 12.8 distance strike attempts per minute, she actually does tend to get outpaced, um, and that does actually leave her over her career absorbing more distance strikes than she's landed. But that's not a real concern against Janet Hoba. I mean, Hill has been in there with some good strikers. Um, Janet Hoba, 37% accuracy and 62% defense, which are fine numbers, but really hasn't faced much competition. I mean, 27% of the time she spent fighting from distance in her UFC career was against Mackenzie Dern. Um, Dern obviously not a very high level striker especially not anywhere near the level of Hill um, and when we saw Jandy Hoba against better striking competition uh, against Amanda Hibosh um, she had 31% accuracy with 63% defense uh, attempted only .65 distance strikes for every one Hibosh attempted um, and was outlanded almost 2-1 to one from distance she lost to Mackenzie Dern in a kickboxing fight she got totally outclassed by Hibosh on the feet um, it, it, there's not really a concern here uh, as we analyze this fight that she's going to go out there, she's going to outland Angela Hill for 15 minutes um, and win win a fight on the feet. This covers some of the usual concerns I have with Angela Hill. Um, she doesn't land with enough impact for her striking volume and efficiency to always make a huge difference, um, and she also has that issue where she gets outpaced. Despite being a good striker, she does tend to go second, she doesn't throw enough volume, she gets outpaced, she gets outlanded, and so she loses a lot of close decisions. I, I know... If you ask Angela Hill, she's probably never justly lost a decision in her career, but uh, you know, when, when you're striking, volume isn't there and the power's not there. Even if you're efficient, even if you've got some great combos being landed, that's just not generally something that gets looked upon favorably by the judges. And, and when I'm breaking down a fight, I'm not trying to look at who should be winning or who I think looks better and, and kind of deserves a decision in a perfect world. I'm looking at how judges actually score the fights, and that tends to work against Angela Hill. But in this situation, again, I, I don't really think there's a concern there because of uh, the level of competition in striking. And so we've got Jan Hoba, who's a great grappler. She's shown those grappling chops in the UFC so far. She's got a 39% takedown accuracy rate, almost a 25% control rate. So spending almost a quarter of her fight time controlling her opponents either in the clinch or on the ground. And of course, a dangerous submission game. And early in Angela Hill's UFC career, particularly her first run, there was definitely a lot of concern about defensive grappling. She gave up two plus takedowns in four of her first five UFC fights. Uh, But since then, she's only allowed two takedowns once uh, since those first five UFC fights. And that was, gave up two on six attempts to Ashley Yoder, but still held Yoder below three minutes of control time. Uh, And if we look at Hill's last five fights, I mean, she's faced three, six, six, eight, 18 and four takedowns that that's in each fight. So, uh, facing heavy volume across those last five fights and she's got an 86% takedown defense rate in that stretch. Now the competition, the level of grappler she's faced has not consistently been as strong as, as Verna Janjoba. Um, a, a big percentage of those takedowns that she stuffed was when she stuffed 17 against Michelle Watterson. Watterson, not a super efficient wrestler over her UFC career and, and not nearly the grappler that Verna Jandahoba is. The one fight that does give me um, some especially strong encouragement though for Hill here is that Claudia Gadelia fight. Gadelia is an efficient grappler. She got a 42% takedown accuracy rate over her UFC career. Averages three takedowns landed per 15 minutes. Hill held her to one of four. She did give up over two and a half minutes of control time. But that was still a pretty good defensive wrestling performance, even in a fight that she lost. I, th- I think that was really encouraging and shows that um, a lot of this takedown defense that she's shown lately, that is genuine improvement in her game. That's not just a reflection of the level of competition. I still think, you know, if I, if I really had to go with a side here, I, I'd take Jan Duhoba to win the fight. I still think she's got enough grappling chops that um, she should be able to, to do some damage here. Um, he probably not even want to hang in the clinch where she does uh, have quite a bit of skill. And with her, her kind of low impact striking, there is a chance that some of these grappling exchanges could actually be higher impact than the striking exchanges. A little bit of the opposite of what we're used to seeing where, um, kind of lifeless grappling isn't getting scored as highly as a striking, uh, by the judges recently. But, um, the, I, th- I think there's more room for impact. Janet Hoba to get in on some submission attempts, maybe la- land some good takedowns while Hill lands maybe a little underwhelmingly on the feet. Um, So I I do slightly, slightly, slightly favor Jandahoba to win this fight. Um, But looking at the betting odds where we've got Hill at plus 140, I think this is close enough to a coin flip that I think there's a lot of betting value on Hill as an underdog here someone I'm usually fading because, like I said, I don't think her style actually lends itself to success um, as much as she gets credit for her with her striking skill. I think the just the way it, it lands on judges' scorecards just isn't um, something that we want to see a lot. I, I usually like to fade Angela Hill as a result of that. But this isn't a matchup where I think that's as much of a concern as it usually is. So I'm going to bank on Hill's improved takedown defense and, and the fact that the betting markets could be maybe overreacting to um, her recent stretch of losses. So... Give me Hoba very slightly to win, but as far as betting goes, give me Angela Hill for sure at plus 140. Next up, we're at lightweight with Michael Johnson taking on Alain Patrick. The stats scream out some pretty clear trends for Patrick. Um For the sake of records here, I'm, I'm going to talk about the Mason Jones fight like it was a loss, even though it was technically a no contest, um, just given how badly he was getting beaten in that fight, and just to kind of uh, paint a picture of maybe what what Patrick's stats look like in, in different types of fights. When he's getting big takedown volume, things go really well for him. When he's not, they go pretty terribly. He has over an 80% control rate in three of his five UFC wins, but in his losses, his average control rate is 4.8%. When he has a control rate of at least 10%, so he's in the double digits, he's got a 5-1 record. When he's got a single-digit control rate, he's 0 and 3 When we look at his overall numbers, I mean, looking at his distance striking, 32% accuracy with 55% defense, so he lands 13% less accurately than his opponents, absorbs about three quarters of a distance strike per minute more than he's landing, it's obvious why he needs to grapple. His distance striking just isn't there, but when we look at his grappling stats, averaging nine takedown attempts per 15 minutes with a 36% accuracy rate, he's got a 39.4% control rate. He's a good grappler, and it shows through in the stats, and, and that kind of reflects even further in his record. Michael Johnson's a plus striker on the efficiency side, um, despite having faced pretty solid competition throughout much of his UFC career, uh, 36% accuracy and 65% defense, so very slightly more accurate than his opponents, but also really pushes the pace, 14.3 attempts per minute while facing 10.4. With the slight edge in efficiency and the big edge in pace, he outlines his opponents by about 1.5 distance strikes per minute. So like the last fight, when they're striking, we know who's going to be taking control of this fight, and we know who's going to be cruising to a win if it were just a kickboxing matchup. But obviously the X-factor here with Patrick's grappling is, is Michael Johnson's defensive grappling. He's coming off a fight where he gave up three takedowns on seven attempts to Clay Guida, He's got a pretty middling 21.6% opponent control rate over his UFC career, and most concerning for Johnson, I think, are the stats that we see when in the 14-fight uh, sample in which he's faced 3-plus takedown attempts. In that sample, again, this is a big sample at this point, 14 fights, he's gone 3-11 and 11 when his opponents attempt at least 3 takedowns. He's given up a 31.4% control rate in those fights. And with Patrick's average of 9 takedown attempts per 15 minutes, it's a pretty safe assumption that unless he's knocked out early, Patrick's going to attempt at least 3 takedowns here. So we've got a guy who really needs to get in on his grappling to win the fight against a guy who really needs to prevent his opponents from grappling too much to win the fight. Or painted another way, a guy who wants to spend the entire fight striking from distance and another guy who really can't afford to spend any more time from distance uh, than is absolutely necessary. In this situation, I'm siding with the grappler. I think Patrick's willingness to really go for broke on takedown attempts, that average of nine attempts per 15 minutes, really encouraging to me. I think something we see occasionally with good grapplers is they're a little bit too patient in going for the takedowns. They're looking for the exact right opening, and they end up getting sucked into striking longer than they need to. I don't think Alain Patrick is going to be striking any more than he needs to. And something that really stands out with that those Johnson stats is that that sample, the 14 fights that I was talking about where he's 3-11, and that's not when he gives up 3-plus takedowns, that's when he faces 3-plus takedown attempts, which uh, obviously there's some that you can control in, in keeping the distance and not even letting your opponent get in on a takedown attempt, but we've seen Johnson face 3-plus attempts 14 times, so that's certainly not something that's really in his wheelhouse and you know you can't control very much when you're if your opponent's going to go in on the grappling or not and Patrick certainly will so even though he's a slight underdog I like Alain Patrick to win this fight and so obviously of course getting underdog odds on a guy who I think is more likely to win than not give me the Alain Patrick bet at plus 115 as well. Next we drop down to flyweight with Viviane Arujo taking on Andrea Lee. I'm gonna preface this one saying that I really can't get a read on this fight with the stats.'m I'm, I'm pretty close to a coin flip on this one and that's what the betting markets are saying. so I'm um, not gonna really come out with a bet on this one. so if you're if you want to skip ahead two or three minutes or whatever, go for it. but uh, still gonna break down the stats here, give some context to the numbers or uh, between the two of them, even though I for the life of me can't can't get a handle on what I want to do with this fight. Uh, so we've got Lee with a forty-four percent distance striking accuracy rate, and Arujo at forty-seven percent. Um, so obviously, looks like a bit of an edge for Arujo there. When we factor in their striking defense, though, we see Arujo at sixty-one percent and Andrea Lee at sixty-seven percent. It's actually Lee who's landing a little bit more accurately uh, relative to her opponents. Three uh, percent edge for Arujo in in accuracy, but six percent edge in defense for Lee. Neither one actually outpaces their opponents. Lee is very close to matching her opponents, but at 16.47 attempts per minute, she just trails her opponents uh, combined 16.50. Arujo a little bit more pronounced of a gap, attempts 12.7 and faces 15.7. So factoring in the efficiency there, Arujo actually gets outlanded a little bit while Lee outlands her opponents by a really big margin, 1.88 to 1. Something to keep in mind though is that Andrea Lee is very heavy on the leg kick game, and it's something I talk about just about every week, leg kicks are over twice as accurate as a typical distance strike. So that's going to skew the numbers a little bit, especially because leg kicks, it, obviously we can't say for sure, but looking at the stats as a whole, leg kicks don't seem to impact judges' decisions the way that other distance strikes do. Uh, and, and 25% of the distance strikes that Andrea Lee attempts are leg kicks. So that skews her numbers a little bit. We want to take those with a little bit more of a grain of salt. Uh, Her distance strike attempt ratio drops a little bit when we take leg kicks out of the equation to 0.93 to 1. So it gets outpaced by a little bit more significant of a margin. And taking out leg kicks, her accuracy rate drops from 44% to 38.1%. For Rujo, if we take out leg kicks, the accuracy drop off is much less pronounced from 47% to just 44.6%. So with that drop-off for Lee, an edge that might look pronounced in the striking, where she's outlanding her opponents by such a big clip, really kind of gets erased, and it's not extreme enough that I'd say it swings things in the other direction, and it's a clear edge for Arujo, which again, like I said, I'm coming into this fight kind of torn on it as a coin flip, and we've got these stats that line up pretty closely. They also both have really efficient offensive wrestling games when it comes to landing takedowns. They average about 3.5 attempts per 15 minutes each, and Lee lands at 50% accuracy, while Arugio lands at 60% accuracy. Neither one has even a 20% control rate, though. So when you're landing takedowns at over 50%, but not getting any control, these are not impactful, meaningful takedowns. They're generally not takedowns they're doing a lot with. So neither one of those are really going to swing things in, in either direction for me either. And uh, when we look at takedown defense, I mean, Lee at 59%, again, this looks like a clear edge for Arugio, who's at 95%. But with the level of competition they faced, it's really, you know, you can't make the comparison there. And this isn't the 2008 UFC where, you know, landing a takedown and not doing anything with it with 30 seconds left in a round is going to swing things in in your favor. That, that's just not the way things are scored anymore. A no-meaning takedown isn't really going to have a big impact on the judges' scorecards. So even... Even if we wanted to kind of dig into those numbers and look at Arujo's edge and efficiency and extrapolate that to being a better wrestler, which again, I don't think given the level of competition and and the sample size for Arujo, that we can do that. But even if we wanted to, I don't think that would necessarily give her a clear edge. So, you know, this is a fight where picking a winner, I'd be flipping a coin. And so from a betting perspective, not seeing any value either. So now jumping past uh, a couple fights on the card with some debuting fighters, we get back to flyweight with Caitlin Chukagian taking on Amanda Hibosh. Hibosh has been incredibly efficient so far in her UFC career, 37% distance striking accuracy on a very aggressive 16.7 attempts per minute, has her landing 6.2 per minute, and she also has a 74% distance striking defense rate, truly elite, and is only facing 11.94 attempts per minute, so she's outpacing her opponents by a huge clip, and she's outlanding them almost 2 to 1, she's got an edge of 3 distance strikes per minute over her opponents. Incredibly efficient numbers on the feet, and then if we look at the grappling, she's got a 47% takedown accuracy rate and 31.8% control rate. Really efficient there as well. There's a big caveat here though. It's not a huge sample size, the level of competition has not been especially high for Hubosh, and by far the matchup that had the most potential to bring her distance striking numbers back down to earth was against Marina Rodriguez, and there was almost no distance striking in that fight, because... Hibosh was knocked out Um, there wasn't much distance striking in round one and then she was quickly finished in round two so a fight that maybe could have brought those numbers back down to earth given a little grounding to these ones you know finally taking on a a good striker didn't end up having the opportunity to do that to her stats so that is something that we want to keep in mind when we're looking at her numbers. Now on the other side we have someone in Chukagian with a huge sample size and who has faced quite good competition um, and some elite competition throughout her UFC career and Chukagian's numbers don't stand out as anything special, uh, 34% accuracy rate with a 65% defense rate, so landing 1% less accurately than her opponents, even though she's got a pretty hefty 17% leg kick rate. Her efficiency woes also continue if we look into the grappling game where she's got only a 17% takedown accuracy rate and a 55% takedown defense rate, though I will say she's only allowed a 14.8% opponent control rate while facing uh, 3 takedown attempts per 15 minutes, which does mean that she's generally been able to avoid letting her opponents do too much with those takedowns. We've also potentially seen some improvements in that area recently, I mean there was the Cynthia Calvio fight where Calvio's path to victory was clearly needing to grapple, uh, and held. Calvio to one of four on takedown attempts in that one. Uh, and I think that doesn't tell the whole story either because watching that fight, I mean, Calvio just couldn't get close enough to land, uh, not, not even to land, but to attempt any takedowns in that fight, really. Um, and then against a pretty good grappler in Jennifer Maya in her last fight, Chukagin stuffed both takedown attempts. She ended up giving up just 41 seconds of control time in that fight while having about three and a half minutes of control time herself. So uh, potentially some improvement being shown but I will say there was the Viviane Arujo fight in between those where she did get taken down, did give up three minutes of control time, uh, even though she did end up winning that fight. But even if we want to take Hibosh's numbers and, and, you know, downplay them a little bit with the potential of what could have happened in the Rodriguez fight and adjust for competition in the 2K game fight, which again, I've, I've talked about this before, but um, adjusting for competition doesn't actually make distance striking numbers much more or to any more predictive, um, trying to make those adjustments, or at least certainly not through any formula I've been able to come up with, um, trying to adjust for level of competition just doesn't really make those numbers any better for predicting future fights. So keeping that in mind, and and I do think Hibosh is a fringe case where we actually do want to make some adjustments, again, because of the way that Rodriguez fight played out, but even even factoring those things in, um, I think Hibosh's numbers are good enough there that I'm I'm pretty encouraged, and I also love um, her grappling efficiency against Chukagian, even though, like I said, she's maybe shown some improvements in that area. So I do think it's a close matchup, but this is another spot where I actually like the underdog to win straight up. So Hibosh, um, she's my pick to win. And so, obviously, at, at plus 130, and it looks like she's even moved to plus 150 on some books. Um, liking her to win in the upset, I obviously like the betting value there as well. Next up, we're looking at Louis Smolka versus Davey Grant in the bantamweight division. And from the jump, Smolka's one of these fighters with his style. He's really hard to break down statistically. Um, this is very similar to, say, Brandon Royval that I touched on last week, where being grappling heavy, not really looking to even stop takedowns, being good off your back aggressive on the feet with lots of finishes in both directions or knockdowns in both directions, that makes someone just so hard to get a grip on um, from a statistical standpoint. But I will get into the numbers in this fight, and and there is one bet that I like here. So looking at Smolka, very aggressive on the feet, like I said, 15.7 distance strike attempts per minute compared to 14.5 for Grant, but Grant more efficient with those attempts, 42% accuracy compared to 38 for Smolka. Uh, And Smolka also faces 15 distance strike attempts per minute, while Grant only faces 12.3. And with Grant's 2% edge in distance striking defense, 61% compared to Smolka's 59, Grant outlands his opponents by one and a third distance strikes per minute. Smolka gets outlanded by 0.2. The grappling numbers are where things get really unreliable for Smolka. Um, He's only got a 31% takedown defense rate, gives up four takedowns per 15 minutes, a 26.8% opponent control rate, but that's because he's so willing to fight off his back. He's got a good submission game off his back. He gets into crazy scrambles. Um, When he's on the top, he'll give up position looking to grab a submission, which sometimes leads to his opponent getting control time. Um, But he also has a 30% control rate of his own and a 38% takedown accuracy rate. Most of his opponents don't want to grapple with Luis Smolka. So that 38%, I think, is is one of the more noteworthy stats in this fight. And if we look at Davy Grant, I mean, he's shown some decent wrestling. Um, 44% takedown accuracy is great, uh, even on just four attempts per 15 minutes. But he's kind of an opportunistic grappler, it seems like. He's not really trying to wrestle everyone. He, he has certain fights where he goes in uh, with a more wrestling-heavy game plan, and, and some where he doesn't. And his numbers haven't looked great, you know, against good grapplers. He didn't get submitted against Cheeto, but but against Marlon Vera, he gave up two takedowns on two attempts, uh, got swept at one point, let Vera get in on three submission attempts, gave up five minutes of control time. So concerning numbers against a good grappler there for Grant. I still like Grant to win this fight. Smolka's, uh, Smolka's striking is just not very good, and there's a really good chance he gets caught here. But the bet I do like in this fight, I mean, right now... The, the, the specific method of victory props aren't available while I'm looking, um, but Smolka inside the distance at plus 475 is interesting to me, um, and whenever that prop drops, Smolka by submission is going to be something I'm looking at as well. I know Grant grappled for five minutes without getting submitted against Marlon Vera, but four of his six career losses have come by submission, um, including two of his most recent four, or three of, three of his five in the UFC. Um, was submitted by Chris Holdworth, was submitted by Damian Stasiak, was submitted by Manny Bermudez. I know those were a few years ago, but I'm not going to let that most recent Vera fight where he didn't get submitted kind of overshadow those things, especially against a really dangerous submission artist like Luis Smolka. So like I said, right now, while it's the only market available, Smolka inside the distance is interesting enough at plus 475. But once Smolka by submission drops, that's almost certainly going to be the bet that I'm really excited about playing on this fight. Now we jump up to light heavyweight for our last two fights, the first one being Ryan Spann taking on Yuan Kutalaba. Spann's up to a decent 46 minute sample size in the UFC, but he's still a guy whose numbers are hard to trust too much because while that is a decent sample on its own, it's a collection of small samples. He's got a lot of short fights, and ultimately the way that stats play out in UFC fights, you know, 10 one minute fights doesn't give you as reliable a sample as one 10 minute fight would, because the way a one minute fight plays out, it's going to feature much more aggression than a a typical longer fight will. Because if it's ending in the first round, it's generally because there's some excitement happening. Um it also means that, you know, say someone hurts their opponent and lands a, you know, six or seven strikes to finish the fight on a hurt opponent. When that's over 15 minutes, 6 or 7 strikes isn't going to change things too much. But when you're looking at a first round finish, that can be you know the difference between landing 5 significant strikes and landing 12 significant strikes. Like that, That's more than double just because you happen to land a few more ground strikes at the end. So the small fights that we have from Span mean his overall career numbers probably don't tell us all that much. But if we want to say look at uh, a longer fight, you've got maybe the Sam Alvey fight to look at a bigger sample of distance striking... His numbers are, are a little, little concerning. I mean, Span has a sl- had a slight edge in pace in that fight, but that's something we always see for Alvi, who attempts fewer distance strikes than he faces. Um, and Span also landed 4% less accurately than Alvi, which is especially concerning, because Alvi usually lands 5% less accurately than his opponents. But again, that's one opponent, styles make fights, that's hard to read too deeply into, because it's just not a very good sample. Kutalaba is also a horribly efficient distance striker himself, with 31% accuracy but only 52% defense, so that means his opponents are landing at 48%, 17% higher than he is, but he outpaces them by such a big margin, 12.8 attempts per minute while facing 8.4, that despite being awful on the efficiency front, he's only barely getting outlanded. Span's obviously proven vulnerable on the feet, but he's also proven dangerous on the feet, with kind of a high variance mix there. Which makes the striking situation in this fight I think pretty volatile, where we've got Kutalaba who relies so much on pace and not efficiency, and Span, who can change things both in his favour or against him very quickly on the feet. The other thing Kutalaba's done with a lot of aggression recently is wrestle, landing 9 takedowns two fights ago against Dustin Jacoby, and landing 8 against Devin Clark in his last fight. He's up to a pretty ridiculous 60% takedown accuracy rate over his UFC career while attempting 7.3 per 15 minutes. Despite that, though, he's only got a 22.5% control rate, so he has landed a ton of volume, but hasn't been necessarily overly dangerous with his wrestling. I mean, looking at that Jacoby fight, that draw, Kutalaba landed 9 on 19 attempts, so still um, was getting his takedown stuffed plenty, and despite getting in on all that wrestling, he still didn't even manage 5 minutes of control time, just 4 minutes and 27 seconds. Um, And then looking at that Devin Clark fight, I mean, Clark is a very good wrestler, But we haven't necessarily seen that he's an outstanding defensive wrestler over his UFC career. Hasn't been tested that much. And if we look at the four fights outside of the Kutalaba fight in which Clark has faced two or three takedown attempts, uh, he's given up a 33% control rate in those fights. So controlling Clark with the wrestling, even though he's so good on the offensive end, maybe not uh, the huge feather in the cap that it might seem like. Then we've got Ryan Spann, who maybe doesn't have great defensive wrestling numbers at, at just a 57% takedown defense rate, but is very dangerous off his back, does have a very good submission game. I mean, he submitted Devin Clark, was taken down, but did get a, a sweep on Luis Enrique, who, I mean, a former heavyweight who had some pretty significant control time against Marcin Taibura, who's a good grappler in his own right. So obviously we're getting a little bit of maybe too many degrees of separation away there. But but. Some pretty impressive work from Ryan Spann, uh, even when his opponents are able to get in on some wrestling. I'm almost always going to side with aggression and volume and output, though. That's that's where I think a lot of success lies, and especially when it's against someone where you're relying on um, a finish or you're relying on kind of a high-impact Uh, But low volume type maneuver like we're looking at with Ryan span So I I still like Kutalaba to win this fight and from a betting standpoint I'm not in on span inside the distance at plus 325 like I am with Smolka here as we wait for submission line But I am gonna keep a very close eye out for a span by submission prop and I, I suspect that's the bet I'll be taking on this fight and now same weight class We're in the main event with Jan Blachowicz taking on Alexander Rakic. Blahovich, obviously no longer the champion, but still has some really impressive numbers almost across the board, but especially in his distance striking, where he's got 45% accuracy on 10.3 attempts per minute, as well as 63% defense while facing 7.9 attempts per minute. So he lands 4.6 per minute while absorbing just 2.95, that's an edge of plus 1.64. Being both vastly more efficient and vastly more aggressive than your opponents, obviously a very, very good combination. But one thing I've been highlighting for a few fights now is that this this you know legendary Polish power thing, I think it's a little bit less of a meme now than it was for a while, but really was overrated. Um his knockdown rate has generally never been anything special. Right now it's at 1.07%. Which is, I mean, it's not terrible, but like if, if we want to look at a comparison, like Michael Johnson at lightweight is at 0.97%. So it, it's, it's very much a pedestrian knockdown rate. I mean, yes, he has some knockout wins and he, he clearly lands with some impact on his punches. But I wouldn't say his power is like some crazy, groundbreaking, game-changing factor in his striking. I think what makes his striking so good is that A, he's aggressive. B, he controls the pace really well. C, he's incredibly efficient. Those are all very, very good things. It just doesn't happen to also carry incredible power. His big area of weakness, though, and I highlighted this ahead of the Glover Teixeira fight, is that he just struggles with grapplers. I mean, he's got a 66% takedown defense rate uh, and a 27.5% opponent control rate. The stat I highlighted most before that, that Teixeira fight... Was that heading into that one, Blahovich was nine and two when he faced fewer than four takedown attempts, and in those fights outlanded his opponents by 1.6 significant strikes per minute. But when facing four plus, he was just two and three, allowed a 53.3% control rate, and was outlanded by half a significant strike per minute. And on that, obviously, things kept getting worse for Blahovic's numbers in that Tashera fight where he was taken down twice on six attempts, gave up five minutes and 17 seconds of control time in an eight-minute fight. So once again, over 50%. And of course, lost by submission. So the main factors then that stand out for me with Blahovic are his power is probably overrated, but the way that people react about his power probably underrates how good he is actually as a technical striker. I mean, like we saw in, in the Adesanya fight where he hung on the feet. And then it's probably underrated just how much his defensive grappling as a whole. So, so that's the, the kind of stuff I'm looking at in a Jan Blachowicz fight in general. So now we look at Alex Rokic, and when we see a 38.9% control rate, the first reaction might be, you know, this is an issue for Blahovic. This is a guy with great grappling. But that 39% control rate is coming on just a 25% takedown accuracy rate. And if we look further into that, of Rakic's control time over his UFC career has come in just two fights. One was that early fight against Justin Ledet, where he absolutely dominated and set records against a guy who frankly doesn't really belong in the UFC and and I think has probably since been cut. Uh, And then the other one is against Anthony Smith, who's someone who's given up a ton of control time throughout his whole career, really. Smith ranks 20th in terms of having the most control time allowed for any fighter in UFC history. So with that context around that control rate and, and the low takedown accuracy number, I don't actually think Rokic is a major threat to dominate Blahovic in the grappling here. We then get to his striking where he's really outpaced his opponents, an edge of 10 distance strikes per minute attempted to 6.9 faced, but he's got 42% accuracy with 59% defense, so his efficiency is kind of you know just average there. And so he actually outlands his opponents by less of a margin than Blahovic does, even though he's generally not been fighting the kind of competition that Blahovic has. The other X factor that's hard to quantify in this fight is age. Blahovic is 39 years old, and, and we see athletes typically fall off a cliff more than we see them generally have a slow decline, so that's always a bit of a risk when we're getting to this stage of someone's career. And being young in his career, Rokic obviously still has room to grow, but kind of taking things as they are and even trying to factor a little bit of that age um consideration into things, I actually like Blahovich straight up to win this fight. So I think there's a lot of betting value on him at plus 150. Um, and when I'm looking at Blahovich, because of what I said about his power, I'm also always looking at a Blahovic by decision line. Almost, almost by definition, if I'm liking Blahovic straight up, I'm liking him to win by decision. So I think both Blahovic uh, 150 and Blahovich decision at plus 410, both great bets here depending on how much of uh of the long odds you're looking to get. So on that note, that does it for this week's show. Um, if you enjoyed the show, really mean a lot if you leave a rating or review on iTunes. Uh, you can also find more of these stats uh, on Twitter or Instagram at Numbers MMA. Also, if you have any questions or, or comments, you know, feel free to reach out on, on either of those platforms. I'm always happy to, to talk stats and, and to talk fights. So good luck with your bets this week and enjoy the fights.